Oh, good day. Hey, we're back again. Good. It's, I'm glad we're here with you all. I hope just sit back and enjoy. We are going to once again interview uh, our two favorite former FBI agents, Mike and Tracy. So um, get ready. Yeah, we're going to talk about uh, some issues and talk about some things that will be very interesting to you. Uh, right now, we're going to ask Mike what his most interesting case was. I suppose, um, I, I mean, I was in the FBI at a great time, and I got to go to a lot and do a lot of interesting things. But I suppose in this situation, Waco would have been my most interesting. Um, I was a SWAT guy. Excuse me just a minute. Do you think people know what Waco is? Anybody out there, do you know what Waco is? Oh. No, wait a minute. Yeah. Waco, you know, uh, were David Koresh and his followers uh, were holed up in their compound, I guess you'd call it, and they were surrounded by the police and the FBI, and it had, had a tragic ending. Uh, and Mike was there, so we're going to look forward to hearing some inside details and ask some outside questions. So, okay, yeah, um, I was a Denver SWAT guy, and our team got called up for the second 30 days. Historically, uh, SWAT operations last, your team, your team go, will go for 30 days at the most. So the first guys went the first 30, we went the second 30. Unfortunately, during our 30 days, uh, there was a fire. Waco is a, is a sore point with a lot of people, but... You know, having been there, having observed it, my answer to most people who hit me with, the FBI did this, is, well, I was there and I didn't see you. Um, there's a lot of myth that's grown up around it. I have been interviewed at least four times by four different law enforcement agencies, including uh, Scotland Yard. They're brought in late to do a, you know, an investigation outside of the United States. Um, I'm not in the habit of lying, and I wasn't in the habit of lying there. So we went to Waco. It was the Branch Davidians and David Koresh. We didn't start that. That was started by the alcohol, tobacco, and firearms people. It wasn't an FBI warrant. We didn't even know what was happening. Um, it was a new administration. They were hoping to score bounty points, in my opinion, and they were going to have this big mass arrest. They didn't ask the FBI how to do it, because they'd never done one. And as things go, they went sideways. Hmm. Um, there was a firefight. Um, a lot of ATF people were killed. A lot of bench civilians were killed. And the word came down when we went there, we will have no more casualties. We're going to get these people to come out, but we're not, there'll be no more federal law enforcement casualties. So that's how I arrived. Have you heard of any of the uh, so-called evidence uh, that it wasn't the Branch Davidians who fired first, it was ATF? I've not, and again, I wasn't there, nor, nor was the FBI. So, you know, as I've said before, FBI consider themselves witness to the truth. So I have no truth on that. I don't know. I don't okay. know how that all started. And you came in, you were there, though, when the fire happened. Correct, yeah. And the, the rumor is that the government, when they punched through the walls, that some, something they put in there that was like a, 
uh, nerve gas or a sleeping gas or smoke, you know, that that caused the fires? No, um, and I can, we could hear what was going on inside that compound, okay? Um, devices had been placed. We were capable of doing those things. And we knew exactly what they were talking about in there. Um, so, you know, it was on a frequency. We had, you know, you could listen in. And I was, as was everybody else. And now, you couldn't hear everything. It wasn't like, you know, they were wearing microphones. But the day of the fire, first of all, there was not one tank at Waco. There were armored personnel carriers, which we sat in, and there were tank recovery units. So what you saw go up there was a tank recovery unit when it, when it punched the holes, and it was dispersing regular gas, CN gas, the gas that we all get gassed with in New Agents training. The idea was on the first day, this gas would be introduced and see what happened. This was supposed to be a three-day operation. The only way it would change was if they opened fire on us. The gas went in and they shot at us. And they shot at us for about three hours. Um, a few of them pinged off the armored personnel carrier that I was sitting in. So, and, and not one FBI agent fired one round back. I defy you to show any uh, tactical unit anywhere in the world that has that kind of fire discipline. Nobody fired back at them, although they fired at us for a very long time. So long that a lot of guys lay down and took naps because we you get back far enough you get behind them you know the rise of the ground and you couldn't get hit guys were sleeping while they were being shot at <laughs> um, so it sat it went that way for a while and they since we were there shooting at them the idea was to do a tuna can to open up the sides of the building to encourage we had it seemed from listening to the conversations that there were some people that wanted to leave. So they thought, well, well, we'll make a way for them to get out, and we'll be ready to grab them, you know, and get them to safety if they do. Um, it didn't work. And, and finally, at one point, we listened to them kill their kids. And I listened over the radio while those children were murdered by their parents in the basement of that building. Um, if I ever go full PTSD, I can tell you I will know what sent me there. After the murdering was done, we heard them say, we heard Koresh say, start the fire up by the piano. I heard him say that myself. And and that was, I think, near the front door. And then a fire started on our side, because there were four sides of the building, and we were all on all four sides. And fires started simultaneously on all four sides of the building. Um, there's extensive uh, film of that, from the, taken from the airplanes and the helicopters, it happened all at once. That was very old wood. They told, torn down some cottages from built, were built in the 1940s. If you've ever been to that part of Texas, the wind blows constantly. The wind never not blows. And that wood was very old. It was very dry. And as soon as the wind hit that, um, that fire, that place went up. And they had so many rounds stored there that for hours it sounded like... Um, Bacon sizzling mm. because the rounds were cooking off. Mm, good description. And after every once in a while, we'd hit a hand grenade, and um, when the hand grenade went off, that would wake everybody up again. And a few people came out. Uh, I think Koresh was coming out, from what I understand of the evidence, and the guy whose wife he had taken and he was sleeping with 
uh, the second command shot him in the back of the head. He was going to make the triumphant exit and let everybody else die. That's my opinion. I don't know that to be a fact. Mm -hmm. So that's how that last day ended. Um, so 80-some people, and, you know, I witnessed their demise. So it was not, you know, it was not a pleasant day for any of us. Some of you out there may have heard the stories that uh, the FBI and the federal agents started the fires. Well, you've just heard from a, a first-hand eyewitness who heard this, saw this, and was present at the time to refute that story and to tell you the truth. And uh, we want to thank, thank Mike for sharing that. That is, uh, you know, it's hard for him to even relate that, but I want to thank him for, for sharing that. Uh, Tracy, what about you? What uh, case would you like to talk about? Well, I was uh, dispatched to, voluntarily dispatched to uh, Oklahoma City uh, the day after the bombing. So the, uh, the bombing took place um, at 9.02 in the morning, and uh, in the beginning, we didn't know what it was. And I got into the office, and another agent came up to me and said, and there was a time difference involved there. And uh, she said to me, did you hear what happened in Oklahoma City? And I said, no. Um, I was listening to the good time radio on the way in to the office and uh, had not gotten any news. And she said, well, the uh, federal building exploded and they think it was a gas leak. So, oh, okay. Go back to work. The next thing I know, uh, everybody in the in our field office is being called into their squad supervisor's office. And every division in the country had to send uh, a certain number of agents. So our supervisor called us in and they said, uh, if you want to go volunteer, get back to us by noon. I went back to my desk, got a hold of Michael, because we had a small son at the time, and, and I said, I need to do this. And it's nice having somebody in the same business you're in because they understand what the calling is. And uh, he said, go, this is why you joined the FBI. I'll handle things here. And we had very understanding parents that would be called in at uh, a moment's notice to help with our son. So the next morning, um, the six of us caravan to Oklahoma City, not knowing what we were going to do or what we were going to see. And if you uh, go online and you look at pictures of the devastation of Oklahoma City, it does not do the situation justice. Uh, most all of the downtown area was affected by the bomb. Um, People were evacuated from their apartment buildings, the buildings where they worked, because they were now structurally unsound, and we were, our command post was right in the middle of that. Uh, you got very good at parking your car in the middle of a parking lot and not next to a building, because you could park your car, go in, do a lead, come out, and there would be bricks all over the top of your car, because buildings would, were still falling down. Uh, we didn't know what we were going to be doing. We could be digging through rubble. We could be going out and doing interviews. Uh, I wound up uh, doing interviews, tracking down leads, talking to people that um, were witnesses, survivors of the bombing. Uh, there was one lady who was in the hospital. She had no recollection of uh, the explosion. And consequently, in order to talk to her, 
I had to communicate with her family, her medical physician, and her mental health care professional, and they had to assess her capabilities to uh, talk to me. Ultimately, after 28 days, I would visit her in the hospital so that she would be used to who I was. I was not a stranger anymore. Uh, I got to go ahead to interview her, and then the Bureau sent me home the next day when I was supposed to do this interview that I had been working on uh, accomplishing. And I, and I said, I have to stay. And the Bureau said, no, your time's up, you have to go home. And I said, no, I have to do this interview. And they said, no, you have to go home. Another guy that I had been working with ultimately did that. One thing that I can tell you about being in Oklahoma City was uh, you couldn't get anywhere because you were always stopped in traffic because of funeral processions. Mm. Um, you, mm. um, uh, the people in Oklahoma City and the surrounding areas, I spent a lot of time in Tulsa uh, talking to people, uh, were so grateful that uh, we had put our own lives aside and gone to go work that investigation that uh, we would wear our raid jackets um, all the time. And finally, I put mine away because you couldn't go into a restaurant, you couldn't stop and get a cup of coffee without people coming up and wanting to do something for you. And I, it, they were wonderful people mm -hmm. and so appreciative of trying to help them and move beyond this. Uh, I have tons of individual stories, and someday when you got a couple of hours, <laughs> uh, I can go through those. But one, well, actually two quick things, one of which was that um, the entire downtown area looked like downtown Beirut. There was just rubble and devastation everywhere. Uh, when I first got there, there were the, the dogs the rescue dogs were in the building looking for survivors. And it wasn't but a couple of days later that those rescue dogs were cadaver dogs. Uh, we would go look at the rubble on a regular basis uh, just so that we would have uh, memories of the, the progression of the case and literally the excavation of what was going on. And the, the other thing that I was going to tell you has completely and totally slipped my mind now. Well, maybe it'll come back. Yeah. We'll grab yeah. it again later. Yeah. It'll come back. We want to thank you both so much for sharing these two uh, cases that have impacted America and that we've all heard about. It's great to hear from uh, eyewitnesses, people who were there, people who served. And what you were just saying about how you would go in and people wanted to do something for you everywhere really speaks to how the FBI was always held up before people. It was the premier uh, police agency in America and had nothing, I don't believe, nothing but the respect of every American citizen. And uh, maybe later we'll get together sometime and talk about how that might have changed. Exactly. Yeah, so we want to thank you all for uh, tuning in, Robert and Rosalie here, uh, interviewing two close friends who are FBI agents, ex-FBI agents, Mike and Tracy, and uh, just wanna thank you all for tuning in and have a great day. <laughs>